Follow the money. If the story of the last few years has been dominated by a virus, the price tag has never been far behind. So when you tot up the cost of COVID and then throw in Brexit, a new hospital, pension debt and the spiralling cost of living, did anyone mention changes to 010? Well, the graphs in the inner sanctums of the Treasury look a bit droopy. The island's first female Treasury Minister has held the keys to the strong box throughout that time. Deputy Susie Pinnell joins me, James Filial, on the Politics Disassembled pod this week. What will her legacy be? Covid funding, maybe? Hospital borrowing? Changing the tax basis away from the prior year? Or bringing in independent taxation? In a period when the demands on the public purse have been extreme, how has she reacted? The voters won't get their chance to say. This week, Deputy Pinnell announced she won't be standing again. She is an Alliance Party founder and supporter, but she won't be putting herself forward again after 11 years in very senior roles in local politics. So, Deputy Pinnell, thanks very much for joining me on the podcast this week. Let's start with that point. You're not standing again. Uh, Why have you made that decision and announced it now? The persuasion from family and friends has been huge because the um, I'm a fairly conscientious person, do a lot of homework, and that involves working evenings and weekends, and so don't see much of family and friends. So the persuasion came from that direction. Um, and I will have served for almost 11 years um, at the end of June, and I think that's quite a, a large contribution to to um to jersey i'm a jersey girl i love jersey and i've been very very happy to do it all but um the time it takes uh plus the criticism uh it does get a little hard to take sometimes so let's let's get into that area because i I mentioned that you are a founder and a supporter of the jersey alliance although obviously not a jersey alliance Candidates. So, is is that why you're backing party politics? Is that is is one of the reasons that you think that it'll take some of that uh, kind of personal criticism out of politics? Well, we started uh, with um, a group of six of us that were elected in 2011 at the same time. And we then wanted to form a party. So this is nothing new. And I've always been um, a keen. Uh, supporter of wanting to get that that through, um, but. Learning, learning about politics is quite a steep learning curve um, and nothing was done really until about six or eight months before the following election in 2014 and by which time I said no, it's just too late to uh, try to form a party in that stage of we're going to do the job, we've got to do it properly. So it was left for that time. And then the following um, election, I was elected again, top of the polls, which was wonderful. Um, And the same thing occurred. And again, the same thing happened. I was then Minister for Social Security in the second term. And there wasn't really an awful lot of time, the time necessary to put into forming a party. And so we got towards, again, six or eight months 
before the election and it didn't happen. So I've been a long term um, campaigner, for want of a better word, for uh, a, a party in Jersey that would be able to stand up to uh, reform but obviously from a very different political angle. But was it also to take some of the, the kind of personal personal flack out of politics? And we often hear sitting politics complain about, you know, ab- abuse and comments they get on, on social particularly. W- w- was that a factor or is, is that not something in your, in your mind? No, it absolutely is. And I don't do social media for exactly that reason. Um, my daughter said to me at the start, don't touch it, because although you're quite strong, you won't be able to take what they're saying. So I don't do social media. But uh, the party side of things, um, I do think that one could encourage many more candidates if they had the support of a party behind them, uh, because it's quite hard doing it on your own as an independent when you've got to do all the sort of practical side, your own printing, your own marketing, your own publicising, knocking on the doors was the more fun part of it. But you have to do that on your own and your own manifesto, your own principles and answer to them. And of course, if you've got a party behind you who will back you on all those things, I think it'll be, it'll encourage a lot more people who are possibly a little reticent at the moment to come forward and stand. Isn't there the risk, though, that it's also quite divisive as well, because it does naturally push people to you're either one or the or the other. You know, you said the the Reform Party was a a factor in your mind, so you define yourself as not being reformed. So there's that division comes. Is it possible it will push people apart? Well, the impression I get from... um, mixing huge amount with the Jersey public is that it's fairly divided anyway. Uh, there is a huge proportion of sort of centre centre right people. Equally, there are a lot of people who are reform supporters. Uh, and I think the division is there. I don't think this will make okay. it any worse. All right. So just staying with um, the kind of technicalities of politics for a second, you never stood as a senator, yet you've served as a treasury minister and a social security minister. So two big, you know, for want of a better phrase, island-wide mandates. I mean, they both affect everyone in Jersey. Why not put yourself forward for all parishes? Well, A, the post of senator is going to be uh, obsolete after the next election. For now. So For now. So had I been standing again, I probably would have done. And I did think about it at the last election, but I'm a bit of a St. Clement devotee and sort of heart and mind are still with St. Clement's, really. OK, all right. Well, let's um, let's move on to some of the uh, the activities that, that you uh, political activities over your 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 term. Um, one of the major issues in this election and not one that you, obviously you're going to have a, a, a role in once it's happened is the problem of cost of living. Um, a continual um, issue for people seeing prices going up. What, as Treasury Minister, you have a, a unique insight in, into that. What, what can ministers do? What can the Treasury Minister do about that specific issue? So rising prices for people. Yeah, it's a very good pertinent question. Um, We have responded very, very quickly, responsively and I think financially 
judiciously to uh, COVID, which of course is what's generated a lot of this. And I think what we have to keep, or I have to keep putting out there, is that this is not a, just a Jersey problem. This is a global situation with COVID and the knock-on effects of the cost of health, the uh, lack of carers and if we're talking about Jersey then um, the difficulty in getting um, workers with hospitality with the hospital key workers care workers is is huge so is the uh, difficulty with the supply chain of uh, goods coming into Jersey so yes we have a massive ongoing effect and um, it's difficult to assimilate quite what is covid related because we're such a, a tourism economy driven um island uh, and also getting our supplies um what is the effect of brexit what is the effect of covid and what is obviously the current effect of the war in ukraine so it's difficult to ascertain what is causing the inflation out of those three? I would suggest it's a perfect storm, a combination of all of them. Do you have, I mean, whichever it is, do you have any, any levers in front of you? Obviously, your counterpart in Westminster might have interest rates, which is a, a common tool, obviously, to try and address rising prices. Do, do you have any levers you can pull? Uh, we don't have any control over interest rates, of course, uh, so we have to follow that. And we work very closely with the FPP, the Fiscal Policy Panel, who give us advice and forecasts. Uh, so we go on that. We've got a, a very good team of um, auditors, uh, advisors, risk and audit management. So there's a huge amount of advice that's being given, but at the end of the day, the decision <laughs> rests with the Treasury team, which is why we put into effect the uh, co-funded payroll scheme to help businesses um, to get through, which was different for the furlough scheme in the UK. We kept people in work as opposed to paying them to be off, which is what the furlough scheme did. Uh, we introduced the £100 spend local card, which was extremely popular. Uh, and that cost um, about £11 million to produce and give out and bought in about £10 million. I say about because it's, the figures aren't, can't be completely accurate, but a £10 million boost to the economy with people spending it in Jersey because you, you weren't allowed to spend it online. Mm. So that sort of thing, we've been very proactive with the point of inflation, um, yes, we've been through this in 2007, 2008, when we had the financial situation then. Um, and uh, I remember a mortgage shooting up to 16%. I mean, it was terrifying. I don't say for one minute we're going to see that here, but it has happened before. It's not unusual that when the economy is struck then the inflation rate goes up. It is, but I mean, people will naturally um, be looking to the government for help uh, if prices continue to rise, as people are worried about this year and after the June elections, they'll be looking to your successor for help. What what can that person actually do? So are there any measures that he or she can take to reduce prices for people? Is there bureaucracy that can be removed? Is there support that be can pro provided? You know, what, what, what's your take on it? You're a social security minister and a treasury minister. You've got a, an insight into this. What can they do? Well, I think from a social security point of view, we have uh, extended that uh, 
quite considerably in as much as the benefit payments uh, go up every year in relation to whatever's the biggest, the RPI factor or the average earnings index um, and the benefit payments go out on that. We've got the lowest number of people on the um, unemployment situation at the moment that we've had for years and years and years. I think it's off the top of my head about 700 and 56, which is amazing. Um, so from a point of view of helping, Social Security is doing that. Uh, they're also providing extra help um, on the health side. And so our Treasury providing extra help in schools to deal with um, people who have lacked education in the time of COVID. A lot of it is is difficult, as I said before, to define as to what is COVID related, what is the current situation, what is the inflation, as to exactly where it all stems it, from. It sounds like that the, there is nothing specific no. that a minister can do to, to change this, really. It really is trying to help people with the effect of it, but it is what it is. It, it, it sounds like the situation but correct me if that's not that's not right no no no, that's that's absolutely right and we've been asked whether we would remove and i think i said it in the states remove the um or drop carl walker from the consumer council take nine pence off the fuel duty and i answered that by saying well uh four five pence of that goes to the climate emergency fund so do people really want us to stop paying into the climate emergency fund um, and then if we were to take 4p of fuel duty that would um, affect middle jersey i hate that term but i don't know what else to call it uh, people who probably have two maybe three cars it would affect them and they can afford it it wouldn't affect the ones at the the lower end as such so it's it's a very difficult measure when you've got to look across the whole broad spectrum of who we're we're, we're dealing with and with people um on lower incomes we uh, have raised the tax threshold level to now 16 and a half thousand pounds that you have if income before you pay income tax which is considerably more than Guernsey or the UK, uh, income support um, levels have also gone up. So I think we're hope, hopefully catering. I mean, it's certainly something that I've lived with and worked with for the 11 years. So not dismissive of at all, but it is difficult to work out what you can do that would benefit the people who need it most. All right, let's move on to one of the, the, the biggest costs of, for people, which is housing, um, an issue which, you know, you've got into some hot water with over this word crisis or not. How, how do you see that working? And, and do, you, do you regret how you handled that word? So explain how that worked. Well, that was taken out of context. Uh, I now can't even say the word, I call it the C word. Um, but it was a Chamber of um, Commerce speech that I gave, and it was nothing to do with the speech. It was a question afterwards uh, when the CEO said, what do you think about the housing crisis in Jersey? (laughs) And I said, I'm sorry, I do not like that word. Uh, That word, in my view, is something that would happen, does happen in India and Africa there you have that problem where people don't even have a piece of 
corrugated iron to put over their head, living in a cardboard box. That, to me, is that emergency dramatic situation. Um, And then he said to me, well, do you think we have a challenge? And I said, undoubtedly, we have a challenge. There's no doubt about it. We have a small nine by five island bit extended by reclaimed land but anyway nine by five and green spaces that we have to protect we know we have to do that Uh, and then the debate is whether you then go higher which of course a lot of people don't like either but if you want to go if you don't want to expand outwards then you've got to uh, find a way through this and the latest census um, was very good in as much as it said uh, they've put put it together it's taken 11 years to put it together but it's only every 10 years anyway um of 103,000 people uh, which is a growth of 5.5 percent on 11 years ago on the t- um, 2011 census and housing production has grown by 9.4 percent so we are coping with it. Andium are doing an amazing job on the social housing front. The new developments on the waterfront, uh, South Hill, um, the Limes. Uh, so there's a lot going on. It's a matter of whether the construction industry can cope with it all, really. But you could understand the point, say, for um, a young family um, trying to get themselves on the housing ladder for the first time. It's a very high rung, that first rung on the housing ladder. And particularly students not coming back to Jersey after they graduate because they don't think they can afford it either. So you have the brain drain, which is a you know common phrase that's being used. What, what can your successors do specifically in the short term to address those prices? Well, it's supply and demand. And all the time you've got the demand, uh, you're going to have those high prices. It's always been that way. And I think it's because we've been um, on a fairly steady rate over the last 10 years and suddenly the prices have gone up. And again, the risk of repetition, is it COVID? Is it Brexit? Uh, it's, It's difficult to say what's driven this house price rise, but it's also the fact that there's little supply, which we are addressing. And by 2030... Uh, we expect to have another 4,000 houses, affordable homes, on the market, if not before, probably before. So in your mind, it's an issue of of supply, not demand. So in other words, it's not because there are too many people trying to buy houses in Jersey. I think it's um, a lot of expectation and not unreal expectation. There's no reason why a young family shouldn't want to have their own home but it's um that expectation has been because we've been able to do that up until now uh if you look back to um my parents generation uh none of them had owned well few of them owned their own homes they they rented because they there was no expectation of owning your own home uh, however, since the Second World War, of course, that expectation has changed and we, we've had a very, not just Jersey, but UK, uh, EU, have had a very lucratively financial situation. And I think that's raised the expectations of the younger people to expect that that's what they should be able to do. But uh, it's difficult to produce what 
they want. And when you mentioned um, a sort of brain drain of young students, uh, that happened when I was a student as well. And it wasn't because of the expense of housing. It was purely because you wanted to get some sort of experience outside of Jersey, Okay, whether, right. whether it was London or uh, UK or America or whatever. Let's move on to a borrowing of a, of a slightly different scale and a slightly different kind, which is the islands borrowing. Um, so... Over your term as Treasury Minister, the island has gone into what will be billions, or what will become, it's not at the moment, what will become billions of borrowing. Are you worried about that as a legacy? No, I wouldn't be doing it if I was. Um, We have uh, already, anyway, uh, Andium have a a bond, so that's already been taken out. But of course, they, they pay that back when they sell off their properties or rent their properties. Uh, So it's not the first time borrowing's been done. The one that we're going to do initially is a £500 million bond, gilt bond, uh, at a low interest rate because it's already been established. Uh, And that will be to pay off the pension debt. So that's the pre-1987 Peckers and the Teachers Superannuation Fund debt, uh, which uh, is, when you say legacy is actually able to be paid off by the interest on the strategic reserve, which ranges, obviously, interest rates are volatile, I know that, but ranges between 5 and 6%, and we're talking about a bond issue of 2.5. So the interest on what we're getting at the strategic reserve, or rainy day fund, as people like to call it, will, will pay off that, that debt. And that then reduces the legacy because our children and grandchildren and whatever will not have that billions and billions of pounds of pension accumulated debt to pay off. And it's pretty much the same with the hospital. So that is estimated to cost £756 Um, If there's a delay, of course, well, who knows? Uh, But that, again... um, this has been questioned a lot, the legacy to our grandchildren, but actually they're the ones that are going to use the hospital. Um, do, you, do you still support the hospital project? Yes, in as much as I know, uh, uh, it's not necessarily generally known, but I know how much it's costing to keep the current hospital going. Millions and millions. I mean, six and a half million just to put the maternity unit back on track. Um, operating theatres too had to be built in the car. I mean, it's just ridiculous trying to maintain a building that's completely not sufficient for action. And we're also not getting the staff over because of because of that. But that doesn't mean, and there is a risk of this, that anything else is better. So it doesn't mean that just because it's different, it's got to be the right project. So you still... You still support the uh, hospital project as proposed up to £804 million? Yes, I've always made it very clear that I, my preference, and I've put that forward time and time again, would have been to have an acute hospital um, in the um, um, park uh, because in the People's Park, because you've then got the quarry behind you, a quarry face which would negate the height of a building there. The access is fantastic. And then um, to build an access, a 
cable car, lift, whatever, up to Overdale and make Overdale into a longer term unit. So anything after four nights or something would move from the acute units to Overdale. Uh, All the clinics could be up there. That's the way I felt it would have worked better. But I think we've got to the point now where we really have to see this through. And I totally understand that it's not ideal, um, but it's going to be a four-year project, so it won't be done until 2026 if if we get the go-ahead this year. What does it say, though, about the system of government? That, that you're not the first minister who's now saying, look, we're spending $800 million. It's not really what we want to do, but we're so far gone now we've got to do it. I know that's not what you said, but that's a, a pricey yeah. of what you said. There's, there's other ministers who've said that on this podcast too. What does it say about the system of government that we've got to this point where the island is spending more than £800 million because it's too far gone not to? You asked me at the beginning one of the reasons why I was um, <laughs> why I was standing down or not standing up again. Uh, that is one of the reasons. I'm a decision maker. I want to get things done. And I do believe that one of the problems with uh, independent candidates comprising the government, with at the moment the exception of reform, is because everybody has an opinion. Uh, and it just delays everything. Absolutely everything. I mean, it delays debates. People can speak for 15 minutes. I'm a strong believer that if you can't say what you want to say in five, then it's not worth listening to, but um, others disagree. Uh, And we just don't get decisions made. And and that is a massive frustration for me. What have you been your biggest battles with your fellow ministers? How long have you got? <laughs> well, you, you said you could say anything in less than five minutes, so so go go with a lot less yeah. than that. No, I think as a council of ministers, um, we've we've worked very well under very very difficult circumstances, and and that's been the um, upheaval. I know everybody's blaming COVID, and of course, it's quite easy to do it in hindsight, but actually, when you're faced with it and faced with, um, I remember the evening of signing the well it wasn't a check of course but whatever it was the go ahead for the Nightingale Hospital a Thursday evening because we were told that we could end up on scientific basis with 500 cases a day with this um, infection disease Um, so there was no question there was absolutely no question in my mind that we had to have it. So I signed it on Thursday. It was dispatched from Holland on Friday, arrived in France on Saturday and was here on the Sunday and put up the following week. I mean, just extraordinary. Um, to me, it was um, an insurance policy. You don't want your house to catch fire, but you still have fire insurance. Um, and we didn't, thankfully, didn't need it but it was there in case we had and those are the sort of instant decisions that are that are difficult okay well one of the rationales for the OneGov project was to streamline and to make quick decisions and much as long the lines of you just discussed you know something's signed on the thursday and it's in place on the sunday that was the whole rationale behind OneGov, or a big part of it did that project work Yes, no. I mean, I understood the reasoning behind it, but it's not Jersey. And that's the difficulty. We're not an English county council. 
we are an island nation of our own right. And so in governments, you have to incorporate and encompass every single part of it. And the departments that we've got do that uh, with a minister per department um, and their accountable officers. And okay, the civil servants, the accountable officers meeting in the middle has been a big break forward. Um, I think the departments, running a department is just so complicated uh, that I don't see how it could ever be incorporated into just a one gov detail. But how, how, how do we put the toothpaste back in the tube? That I mean, we, we, are, we are a long way down this, this project, yet ministers such as yourself on this podcast have, have said the same thing, which is it's not working. How do you go back? Well, I think you, <clears throat> you've got to find, excuse me, some middle ground in as much as um, if you get reasonably strong ministers that can, and accountable officers, director generals, I can't remember what all the titles are now, they've changed so much, but uh, get those in tune with each other, then you can make it work. But I can't see that it would ever be just one overarching, as to whom would be the overarching chief, be it politician or civil servant. I I can't see that working. There are too many things to consider with running, um, uh, I don't like the word nation, but an an island which stands on its own, which has a global reputation, brilliant reputation financially, uh, holds our own at OECD uh, tax meetings. Um, How you could ever manage that with just one person overseeing it okay all right final question for you You, you, you're going to leave a note in the drawer of the treasury minister's desk for your successor what does it say what does it say um good luck (laughs) no uh, i i have enjoyed my time i love a challenge and it's certainly been a challenge it is exhausting Uh, but we have been through some very dynamic changes, so it's not fair to compare it with necessarily previous people. Um, Just as an example, I um, had a meeting with some previous Treasury ministers, and uh, they said you should not be changing the tax system, which uh, this two bits on that, uh, from the prior year basis to the current year basis, when we're in an economic dilemma. And so I looked at all five of them and I said, uh, this is the first time we've been in an economic dilemma, bar 2007, 2008. It's been flourishing. Why didn't you guys do it? So, uh, yeah, bit bit of a comeback on that one. Um, and the other one, of course, was independent taxation. But the tax law was brought in in 1928. It, archaic, absolutely archaic. I couldn't believe it when, because I've got my own company, nothing to do with the states, to do with picture restoration. Um, I've always done my own tax and wasn't aware of the amount of people, ladies, who were still not able to access their own tax information. So we've changed that as well. So I think um, from the points of view of things that we've done, 
has been those big changes to um, tax. Uh, as a government, we've moved forward on hopefully getting another building for government, which will be more uh, available to the public. But then availability to the public has also been structured by COVID. So that's been a problem for Revenue Jersey, who haven't been able to see people person to person. Susie Pennell, thanks for your time this morning. Remember, the elections are on June the 22nd. If you are eligible, then the very least you can do is go out and vote. As ever, the local media will be full of election information. Being formed about candidates is simply easy and accessible. All you have to do is take the time to do it. Here at Bailiwick, we'll be making that as easy as we can, both on this pod and its sister news pod. You can help us do it by liking and sharing them on social as much as you can. It really does help. And of course, follow bailiwickexpress.com for all the election news and information. It's going to be emotional. But for now, from me, James Filial, thanks very much for listening. The pod will be back next week.